0: Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. We are now in season four with over 1300 videos that are being viewed and heard around the world. I'm your host Ashutosh Garg and today I'm privileged to welcome a senior professional-turned-entrepreneur from Singapore, Mr. Sharad Lal. Sharad, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Ashutosh. It's a true honor to be on this show. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. Sharad is an entrepreneur and a podcaster. And he's worked in his earlier avatar as, with Procter & Gamble and BCG. So Sharad, uh, let me start by asking you a few questions on coaching. Sure. Uh, which is, and you use the brand My Life House. Tell me about what you do and the kind of work that you're doing in My Life House.
1: Sure thought um, maybe I'll give a little context of how this came about,
0: which sure. will
1: make it very clear on, on, on what we're doing. Yeah. Um, back in 2013, I was an entrepreneur uh, running my design business, which was doing really well. Mm-hmm. Everything was working on in terms of plan. I had an achievement mindset. I'd done very well in school. I was stopped in school. Then I went to a top uni, mm-hmm. uh, St. Stephen's College in India, went to Cal worked for a top class company, like PNG, BCG, and then was an entrepreneur. So everything Mm -hmm. was going based on the plan that I had on my achievement mindset. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, in 2013, um, I suffered a huge tragedy, Mm -hmm. a huge loss. um, And that kind of just broke my world. Mm -hmm. Um, I went through a healing process for many years. And during that healing process, uh, as I got deeper within myself, there was a huge motivation to mm. live a life that matters, mm-hmm. to make a difference, not just fritter away my life. Um, and then I went searching to for ways, what's the best way to live a good life? What mm-hmm. does a happy good life look like? Mm. Um, and as I found certain tools, and I started talking to my friends and other people, I realized something surprising that even the most successful people, however well they're doing, mm. often don't have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. So deep within many, most people are struggling with something or the other whether it's relationships or meaning at work or mm. leaving an impact um, and that showed me that this need to live a good life, to live a fulfilling life is universal Okay, and many people are looking for that. So that mm. was the inspiration behind starting this and that's how me and my wife co-founded my life house mm-hmm. um, and we started with coaching to begin with which was one-on-one coaching because I myself had got a lot out of life coaching and I thought that's a good way for mm-hmm. people to understand their values and how they can live a life. So that was the starting point and we scaled it a little more into mm-hmm. going into corporates and talking about resilience, mental health, emotions, things that were not very readily talked about and now mm-hmm. after COVID people are more and more keen to talk about that and then the third pillar is the podcast okay. so through all this our objective is in a in a small way to have an impact on people's life which can help them in their journey
0: to make mm-hmm. their life more fulfilling and meaningful fascinating and uh, given your you know amazing academic record um, having worked for two of the major uh, organizations in the world entrepreneur and then a personal setback starting all over again my question is how has your background and experience supported your coaching philosophy your style and your values
1: i think in exactly the way you mentioned uh, the people who come to coaching for different uh, different reasons and mm-hmm. if i can simplify and classify it into two ways mm-hmm. uh, some people come on the achievement path how can i do better how can i Uh, maybe become an entrepreneur or do better in my career. And having done part of that, I can understand where they're coming from, Mm -hmm. uh, empathize with them, and then use the coaching tool. So Mm -hmm. that's one bit I bring in. And the second Mm bit, having gone through something difficult and having gone through uh, a journey where I had needed to face my emotions, thoughts, mental health, meditation, that entire land of fulfillment, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm able to bring that well as well. Uh, Often people are looking at integrating these two parts. So having done that, I'm able to, uh, you know, understand what their path is, sometimes even hold a mirror and that people, the other thing in coaching is you don't want to tell people what to do. So I can sit back, see how they they go down the path. But often, they're looking for advice and inspiration, I can share some of my stories or other people's stories, Mm -hmm. which then becomes useful from a background standpoint
0: to everyone. Very interesting. And uh, were there any people who played a role in shaping the way you think today? Sure. And
1: especially as a coach, I think um, my family. So my mother, uh, I mean, I recall she would, and I think many mothers are like that. She Mm -hmm. would tell me that I'm special. I can do anything. And I would believe that. And that made me, that developed in me a sense of confidence that I can go out and do whatever I want to, even things I didn't imagine. I bring that mindset to my coaching where I hold my clients who I work with uh, to a high standard, which they themselves sometimes are not aware of and then mm. giving them that confidence helps them go. So that's one trait I bring in. Mm. And my father had the big picture thinking mm. uh, and quite often when people come to coaching, they're upset about small details and things going wrong but helping them zoom out, look at the big picture and go on that path. So I think mm. I bring that into the coaching as well mm-hmm. and and my wife is uh, very different from me. She has a sense of intuition, emotional understanding Language around emotions, which I think is very important in coaching, as you're talking emotion, having the right language and intuition. So I bring that as well. So I think these influences have have come into my coaching as as well as who I am.
0: Fascinating. The other question that I thought I'd ask you, uh, you know, when I was growing up, and you know, I'm I'm much older than you, but I remember starting off in ITC in '79, Mm. and in those days, mentoring or that form of co- whatever form of coaching there was, but either done by a family elder mm. or by a senior colleague who took a liking for you. What has evolved or changed in the world of coaching that people are now seeking professional help and are willing to pay for it?
1: Sure. I think that's a great question. And, and that's that's the beauty of coaching. So firstly, I think from a mentorship standpoint, like you mentioned, somebody who's senior and walked the path can show you. Mm. I think there's huge value for that. And that still exists. And Mm. and people should seek that. Mm. I think what coaching does is helps people understand who they are, Mm -hmm. their authentic self. And the reason why uh, it's good to go to an outsider, because often parents, society, friends, and the setup that you are in shapes you. And Mm. often when you're uncomfortable about something, it's this bit, which is of course, help you stay safe, is is, is restricting your growth. And that's what you want to question. Mm-hmm. So having an outsider who you can do it with, who you can talk without fear, you can just bring out the exact thoughts, you don't feel bad about it, who holds the space for you while you explore this, mm-hmm. and then helps you understand your authenticity, who you really are mm-hmm. beyond all these influences. So you can build yourself back in terms of your value. So I think that's become really important now where people are looking to be their authentic self, Reclaim who they are, and then through that launch, and that's why I think uh, coaching is becoming important, and in Asia even more so because a lot of us are uh, have grown up with with uh, in collectivist societies where we're part of a whole, and now we're trying to figure out who we are mm. uh, as we're getting a little more individual, and then building ourselves up and and, and having a better way of relating to others. Mm.
0: Interesting. So you know, I was talking to somebody a few days ago, and they said that coaching really started and gained a lot of traction in America. Um, and the American Americans know how to respect a coach and how to get the best out of a coach. Question I have for you, Ashara, is how does culture impact coaching?
1: Culture does have a huge impact. So I think, um, my hypothesis on why it started in America and these countries is because coaching is individualistic. It starts uh-huh. from the individual and then says how you relate to others. Correct. And developed country, the culture is a lot more individualistic and then relating. Mm-hmm. So it did well. Um, I think in terms of how culture affects as we go along, it's easier for a developed person, uh, for a person from a developed country. But people from developing countries are mm-hmm. struggling mm-hmm. with, you know, I love my family, I love people around me but I still want to be my own person and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to move from compulsion in all these relationships to a place of love and actual uh, connection. So I think in Asia people need it more. Now in terms of how does culture come in when you're actually coaching someone, it's interesting like when we started our platform we thought let's match, we, we had a platform of coaches and people coming to us and we were looking at what's the best way to match a coach and a person and we thought let's match an Indian with an Indian, the right cultures. And Mm. when we did that uh, with with our learning, a few things, interesting things came. Mm. It's not necessarily people of the same culture can work best with each other. We, in fact, found that quite often Asians with Caucasians work really well, Mm. because what happened and then our hypothesis is, and I myself have had Caucasian therapists and coaches, and I've seen Mm -hmm. this work. Mm. They do understand where we come from. But because they are very uh, the culture is slightly different they are they do not stay with us and empathize with us in mm. that land so they do not necessarily provide so much of safety in that land they are happy to then move us forward mm. they show the mirror to us in ways that in a very simple way just they show the mirror to us and how we are thinking which lets us understand uh, the webs that we are tangled in which then of course helps in growth so i think when you have someone different you can grow faster when you have people of your own culture you can feel safer and get into it but I think growth can come if I'm stereotyping uh with,
0: with someone from a different culture oh amazing thank you what a great response my next question to you Sharada is that the new leadership that's coming out in most organizations are Millennials and gen Zs yes um based on your own interaction with them and senior leaders how is are the how is coaching Millennials and Gen Zs different? from coaching mm-hmm. much older leaders?
1: So I think the little that I've, I'm not a complete expert, but the little that I've done, uh, I think a lot of the Millennials and Gen Z's that I've met are already a little more aware of who they are. Mm-hmm. They already know what they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, some people do call them entitled and, and those yeah. things, but they know who they are. They're a little more individualistic. They don't have too many barriers. So they, I think, are a lot more open. Mm. Uh, to changes, to trying new things. Um, I think the older we get and me being old, uh, it's a little difficult to unlearn and untangle and and do things. So I think that's an advantage. Uh, Of course, they may not have gone through as a generation, if I'm against stereotyping the struggles that a lot of others have gone through. So they might think uh, they're entitled to a lot more because Mm -hmm. of which hard work uh, sometimes is a problem. Not everyone, but sometimes Mm -hmm. could be a problem. Whereas uh, the older people are, understand that life does involve some amount of suffering and hard mm-hmm. work and are willing to put in the work. So I would say, at a very generic level, these are the two things that play out.
0: Fascinating. So now let me move to uh, your own journey. You did share with yeah. me a little bit about your journey. But for, for a person who was doing so well in P&G and BCG, what made you take the break and become an entrepreneur?
1: Right so both are world class organizations uh, but in my experience while i got extremely good experience from both of these companies one of the things i realized is in the corporate world i wasn't in total control uh, of my career mm-hmm. of my trajectory and like i mentioned i, I had a strong achievement oriented mindset Correct.
0: Correct. and
1: then it was like if i have a bad boss my my growth could be delayed for 2 3 years and the organization's not going to go they'll take a few years to sort that out or if I'm in a bad assignment, uh, again, uh, growth could get restricted or if somebody has a bad strategy and I'm the one executing it, uh, Mm -hmm. it may not work out. So what came to me based on my experiences is firstly, I'm not totally in control. I was looking at something where I could be in control, I take the risk upside downside, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. was one thing and the second thing was uh, a lot of these organizations, there's a lot of bureaucracy, paperwork and I'm a lot on efficiency. So that was a little troubling. If I spent a lot mm. of my time doing this kind of work, it, it didn't work for me. So at, at, at that stage, I was when I took the plunge in 2006, I was 29. Yes. I was single. So I thought, let me get into entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, Let me try this. I had actually tried entrepreneurship a little earlier when I was 23, which was mm-hmm. um, the dot-com era in, in, in Delhi. I started a dot-com and. I unfortunately went went bust in nine months and then I went to business school. But with that backdrop of entrepreneurship, this time I was very keen to create a business which was a lot more cash flow intensive. It wasn't Mm. like a zero one game, like in 10 years, it could become like a really big unicorn or nothing. Mm. Because I was looking at life holistically that maybe in a few years I might want to get married. So I'm looking at uh, a field where cash flows can come, I can get married, I can move forward in life. So with that context, I went about to entrepreneurship
0: and the kind of business that I set Fantastic. up. Fantastic. And you know, one of the things uh, I have heard from so many different people, you know, whether they're graduates out of business school or graduates out of any other undergrad uh, education, everyone wants to be their own boss. <laughs> right? My question to you, at what stage should one think of giving up? And mind you, I've been hearing people say, I want to be my own boss from the time they were 35 to the time they were 60. <laughs> you know? So at what stage should one think of uh, saying, I want to give up my regular monthly salary and you know start off on my own? Right. So I think from
1: a learning perspective, there's a lot that you can learn in a company. Uh, maybe I, I gave up a little too early. There's a lot more you can learn in leadership, in scale that is difficult to get as a startup. So if that's an area, you could go further. But mm-hmm. on the flip side, it gets more difficult to take risks mm-hmm. as you go later. So my approach to this would be to look at life holistically. Where are you in life right now? Can you take the risk? Uh, if that's the urge coming to you to be an entrepreneur, can you take the risk from a money standpoint? point? For example, I was single, it was easy for me to do. If you're married, do you have like, Two years of saved up or your wife mm-hmm. is working because of which you can take the risk mm-hmm. what is that dependency what is the dependency on your time is it mm-hmm. like if you've just had two kids and you are needed in the house and, and and you're like an equal share kind of husband then it's a difficult time to take the risk so looking at your life holistically to see where you are, because it's not just one decision, it's one Mm. that falls into part of a whole. Mm. And then seeing whether it is okay to do it or not, if the urge is coming from you, Mm. and then making that decision and making it happen. But of course, having a timeline, because we again, live in the real world, maybe people need you back, (laughs) the world needs you back, your parents, your family need you back after one or two years. Mm. So if it's not working out, you, you can go back.
0: Fascinating. And, you know, I made the transition from a professional to an entrepreneur when I was 46. You did it when you were 29. What were some of the challenges you experienced?
1: Right. In mine, of course, the challenges that many people talk about, uh, the stress levels suddenly increase, even though I wasn't doing more work than I would do because I was trying to create work, Mm. trying to create a business, but the stress was a lot more. Am I doing the right thing? Um, the confidence, which I think was reasonably high earlier, took a beating that mm. Mm, maybe I've done the wrong thing. Maybe I'm trying something else mm. uh, that was there. But I think the biggest thing I faced was isolation. Mm. Uh, and, and at that stage, when I started the company, um, I was sharing the room, sharing a house with a friend, mm. a three-bedder and one of the bedroom was my office. So most of the day, I would be in, at home. This was back in 2006, where I didn't know any other entrepreneurs as well, mm-hmm. who were doing it. So I was isolated in the home, trying to do some work, I did not want to go out for lunches with too many people because money was also an important Mm -hmm. thing. I did not want to spend too much. So that made me quite a bit isolated. And then after some time, I said, I have to find ways to go out, maybe even if it's business meetings or whatever, Mm -hmm. to interact with people, to get some ideas going. So to me, the biggest challenge was isolation.
0: Fascinating. And uh, based on a lot of people you may have met who've made this transition where things may not have worked out. The question for you is what happens if the plans as an entrepreneur don't work out?
1: Right. So I feel as an entrepreneur, I like this this book on lean startup, uh, which is uh, the mindset should be at least for the first one year, mm. your plans will keep shifting. It's not right. like what you start off uh, is is what you do. So you keep shifting, you keep pivoting, you keep trying. So maybe in three months, what you wanted to start looks very different. In six mm. months, it looks even more different. So mm. if plans are not working, they, we have to keep shifting because it's a lot about trying versus sitting in one place, thinking, planning. It's about, that's the opposite of the corporate world because we don't want to be completely risk-free. We want to yeah. try it out. It doesn't work, try something. It doesn't work, try something. So that's the first thing I would say. Plans are not going to work out, keep trying things. If overall, over a period of time, you've given it a lot of shot and that's mm. your timeframe. If you put a one-year time frame, two-year depending on everything else in life, or even five year timeframe. Mm. If it doesn't work out, then it's putting your ego out there and saying, mm, I've given it a shot, it's not working out, let me go back because maybe the money is needed, maybe other things are needed. And I, and I can always give it a shot after a few more years, that's fine. But it's not like I'm closing the chapter. So mm-hmm. it's it's calling out when it's it's time to let it go. Well said.
0: So I've got time for two or three more questions. Uh, I'm going to move to a few questions for you personally because uh, my viewers and listeners love to get to know my guest a little better.
1: Sure.
0: Uh, Sharadin, such a successful life so far, and you're probably just 40 or 41 years old. Uh, What would you say are three key milestones in your life or your career?
1: Right. Um, That's a difficult one. So if I just think about it, I think Mm -hmm. the What really had an impact with me, I think getting into IIM Calcutta was a big milestone for me. I'd looked up to my uncle who went to IIM Ahmedabad and people who'd gone to IIM, which was, uh, it it was like, all right, I have in the big scale done reasonably well. So that to me gave me a lot of confidence. Um, I feel starting a business, especially at the early stage, which became profitable in year one was another big milestone. I was in a different country, Singapore, Mm -hmm. uh, went about, created it. Uh, I think that was a huge milestone from a career standpoint, mm-hmm. um, and I think the, the, the third milestone was this new project which I'm creating on my lifehouse, which mm-hmm. is a lot more purpose driven. So earlier it was a lot achievement driven. This was more purpose driven. My heart and soul into it. Mm-hmm. It's a different experience, and, and having done that, and, and in the process of doing it
0: itself, is a milestone. Absolutely. Uh, my next question to you is uh, for someone who has been so successful in virtually everything that you've done. What does success mean to Sharad?
1: I failed a fair bit. <laughs> let me just put it okay. many startups we haven't. I, I've had a few other startups and I've failed a fair bit out there, okay. and of course, many failures. But in terms of success, I think my definition has changed. It, mm-hmm. of course, earlier used to be a lot more achievement oriented, but I think my definition is success is around living a fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. And for me, a fulfilling life is to know what your values are, identify them, mm-hmm. and it's fulfilling those values. So it's a holistic life, whether, uh, your values are around relationship, being a good father, a good husband, uh, b- doing intellectual stimulation, that's always there, uh, serving serving uh, others, growth. So living your values, and that's your internal mm-hmm. compass, living your values and and uh, doing it feels that the kind of energy you get out of it is a, is a lot more deeper and fulfilling. And I think that to me is success.
0: Fantastic. Uh, time for two more questions. Uh, who or what inspires you? This
1: is, this is interesting, actually, um, thinking of death inspires me, because it tells me how little time we have. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also tells me um, that, you know, what it also helps question what is really important in life. Mm -hmm. And having that lens towards life, Mm -hmm. uh, that you're here for a period of time, what are you doing? Uh, That is the one thing that inspires me to be uh, to do a lot more in terms of finding fulfillment and growing in areas. So it's a dark answer, but that's... No, no,
0: it's a great answer. It's a great answer. I was talking to someone the other day, and I'm 65. And this person was saying that she told her husband who continues to travel, saying we only have 1000 weeks left. And that inspired uh, her husband to say more time at home now, because that's 20 years. But my last question Last question to you, Sharad. Uh, And this is for the many, many people who will listen to our conversation. What would your advice be to a young individual starting off on her or his journey in the corporate world or as an entrepreneur?
1: Right. So I I would like them to think about these two mindsets. There's the achievement mindset, which we talked about, which is all about, which is how we've grown up. Mm -hmm. Success from childhood as we get success. um, People praise us, that gets reinforced and we try pursuing success. It's tangible, we know what we're doing, people can Mm -hmm. see it Mm -hmm. but there's another mindset available which is the fulfillment mindset and it's difficult because it's internal. It's also difficult because it's about fulfilling our values, we often don't know what our values are, we don't even know when they're fulfilled but when you do that, the happiness that you get is deep. Mm -hmm. Uh, My advice to people who are young is not necessarily move from achievement to fulfillment but be conscious of what you're doing. If Mm -hmm. at this stage you're on the achievement path, that's fine. Mm. Go all out, do it, but do it consciously. Maybe Mm. at some stage when you have achieved a fair amount, you get the opportunity to do the fulfillment mindset where Mm. you maybe created enough nest in terms of earnings, in terms of other uh, career growth that you can choose to do other things in terms of fulfillment. But whatever you do, it's being conscious that these are mindsets available to you Mm. and making a conscious decision, uh, which of course increases happiness and 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 uh,
0: makes you feel more fulfilled. Oh, wonderful. Sharad, on that note, thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you for talking to me about your journey, about all your thoughts on coaching. Thank you for talking to me about your achievement mindset and the fulfillment mindset. I think all our viewers and listeners do have some serious thinking to do based on all your thoughts. And finally, uh, What inspires you is something I've never heard of before. And it's the first time someone has actually told me death inspires me. And uh, because of the time we have left. Uh, And what you said is so, so, so true. Uh, And as I think about it, you're probably right. Thank you again for speaking to me and good luck to you.
1: Thank you very much, Ashutosh. Thank you for having me in this conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Have a wonderful day.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You, videocast and podcast